Welcome to Cloud Innovators, the podcast series that's helping guide CIOs and business leaders through their journey to the cloud. So what happens after you've successfully migrated to cloud? Modern organizations are beginning to focus on how best to leverage the new generation of cloud services. They want to enable a faster, more fluid IT department and more agile, customer-centric digital business. In this fourth episode of the series, we'll be looking at how to manage workloads and applications in the cloud, as well as the role of a managed cloud service provider. So what are the initial considerations for organisations that will be managing applications in the cloud? Fatima Mahad is the former Director for Technology and Operations at UCAS. Using applications in the cloud and whether or not to use a managed cloud provider, I think can be a a big change for organisations. And in UCAS's case, we were adopting the cloud solution and going on the cloud journey at the same time as looking at outsourcing. So one of our key considerations was really you know, is the partner that we've chosen going to be the right partner for us? And do they have the right skills, aptitudes, culture, ethos that really match us in terms of the journey that we are going on? So those would be some of the key considerations in securing a managed cloud provider or indeed in, you know, which cloud solutions you're going to adopt. Alex Denley is Deputy Director of Innovation and Transformation at London South Bank University. And he thinks there are a number of considerations. First of all is connectivity. So regardless of where you place these things, you need to ensure that they actually have the right connectivity and not having any latency in terms of the way that applications and softwares run. Secondly, is to make sure that they're placed in the right environment from a security perspective and that they have the right security and architectural mechanisms in place to ensure that these things are consolidated and are protected in terms of the event of failure. Regardless of whichever cloud provider you'll go, you're in the realms of there, you know, you're running in their environment and if something goes wrong, you're in their hands. So you considerations to make from the outset. Thirdly, uh, in the event, if you have applications that are dependent on one another, that you don't have them running in multiple cloud environments, and in fact, they, at least they can't talk to one another, there's a problem in terms of the way that they're delivering the experience to the end user. But what does it look like from the partner's point of view? Christy Lally is the European sales lead for IBM Cloud Managed Applications Services. He believes that the quality of your applications in the cloud is only ever as good as the data available. We've reached chapter two of digital transformation. And what that means is that we're now looking at moving the crown jewels of mission critical applications to the cloud. And these are the 80% of data that's housed in applications such as supply chain management, manufacturing systems, commerce systems, financial systems, etc. In other words, the data that is critical for customers to run the business. So what we need to do is to look at how we can move those applications to the cloud most effectively. We don't know yet what artificial intelligence will bring. And there are a lot of issues around artificial intelligence, not least around intellectual property. And those are the areas that companies are going to have to grapple with over the next few years. But frankly, you cannot get into that conversation unless you have your crown jewel data and applications located in the cloud. 
Bola Otebi is the research director for the software development research stream at CCS Insight. She's a big believer in what a managed cloud service provider can bring to the table. They can provide a lot of its skills and insight because if the managed cloud service provider, you know, they will have a lot of relationships with the different cloud. They will have a good idea of some of the workloads. They'll probably be running workloads, multiple workloads in their own environments and really trying to get to grips with some of the different ways that their clients and customers will be running. And I think that kind of level of knowledge is a wealth of information and it kind of gives you a leg, you know, a step up to kind of understanding quickly what can be done and what should be done. So I think from a managed service provider, I think that's really important to demonstrate and open up that, you know, the types of different workloads that they are managing, the types of different clouds that they are servicing and bringing together. And I think from a company's point of view, that is can only be a benefit and a bonus point for them because ultimately, you know, many organisations have outsourced their capabilities, so they may not already have that skill set internally. But what they may have is good architecture team who will understand what the company's own estate is doing, what the company needs to do and where it's going, its own roadmap and how it wants to transform, if that's where it goes, you know, what it needs to do for its client base and, and its you know, prospective market. And I think working with a managed service provider, they can bring their skills of understanding what other use cases and where other people have worked, other organisations have worked, how they've worked, what has worked, what hasn't worked, good best practices. And I think they can bring that level of insight to kind of augment the architecture and planning team within the enterprise organisation. I think that's, you know, it's a kind of like the best of both worlds, really. So what should organisations look out for when choosing their MCSP? So you want to look at SLA performance. You want to look at ability to adapt to new application requirements. You want to look at cost how that is changing and hopefully changing in the right way. You want to look at response time in the application, that is critical. And you want also want to look at security requirements. You want to make sure that you are more secure than you were in a non-cloud environment through using the managed services application. There's always a tricky point when you sort of say open source versus commercial capabilities, because ultimately, what is it that you're paying from a commercial side? And a lot of that is actually down to SLAs, you know, service license agreements, so that, you know, you want somebody to help you to be a bit of handholding. You want someone to manage those capabilities. So you want a provider who might be taking open source capabilities because they get access to lots and lots of people developing and extending, but you want some guarantees. As an enterprise, you need some guarantees. You want to know that if there is an issue, that that commercial provider is going to kind of provide dedicated resources to addressing that. So I think the thing is, is realising the relationship between open source and commercial solutions. So it is important, but it's not the be all and end all because there is other things that you get from a commercial capability, a commercial relationship. However, as with almost all business decisions, there are also a number of concerns. In this type of arrangement, a typical concern for CIOs is vendor lock-in. Fatima Mahad explains. Vendor lock-in was a concern for us at the outset. Um, The reason being is that you could easily put a significant amount of your 
infrastructure or whether it's software with one provider, but there is a risk attached to that. What happens if the price in future really changes and you can't keep up with that? What if the component fails? Like in the UK's case, that was a, a clear consideration. So I think in looking at your architecture landscape and your sourcing approach, you need to also consider whether, you know, you're choosing, for example, an adaptive sourcing approach or whether you're choosing to use one provider and why is that the right thing? CIOs want flexibility. They do not want to be locked into one specific vendor. So if you outsource the management of your applications, you're going to be outsourcing them to an organization that has got experience across a wide variety of application providers. So SAP, Oracle, and indeed many other smaller players. So what you want to be able to do is to construct a contract that asks that organization to provide the SLAs for the applications that you want to manage, whether that be from the large vendors or the small vendors. That provider is then responsible for the management of the application. It is responsible to work with you to develop and innovate that application as and when required, but it does not own the application. It does not own the intellectual property that you push into that application as you develop it over time. So therefore, if you want to move to another provider, it is relatively easy to do so. It's certainly no harder than is the case now in an internal world. So what you need to do is to ensure that you have a contract constructed in a proper way to enable termination capabilities as appropriate. But also you should look at a provider that does not demand quite strenuous and difficult termination charges. If an organization is pushing for that, that should be a red flag that you don't want to work with them. Because any organization that is providing a managed service needs to prove its capability in terms of transparency, in terms of ongoing performance, in terms of monitoring, in terms of agility, in terms of being able to adapt to the changes in that application. If you do that successfully, then frankly, you won't need to move elsewhere. And if you do need to move, then you will obviously move because that's best for your business and you will have a contract that reflects that capability. Another key concern is security. Here's Bola Otebi. Security services, by far the number one thing that everyone talks about, totally. (laughs) So I think security is a top-line issue. In many respects, security has been a top-line issue for many years. In fact, you could hardly say that it's been in the top three for, you know, well over a decade. So I think for a lot of um, CIOs, they'll be wanting to understand what is the security posture of any service provider. And to be honest with you, in many respects... Cloud service providers are well aware of that. I mean, security has been a real key thing for them and it's been a constant talking point. But I think there's a recognition that, you know, at least they have the skill set. So, in fact, in many marketing messages beforehand was that, well, actually, they are secure, probably more secure than a lot of on-premise environments. But I think the reality is they will understand the security posture. They'll have the skill sets, which some organisations may not always have. So I think, yes, security is important, but it's also important to kind of recognise that there's a lot of experience out there in service providers, but also in the cloud service providers themselves. We know that analysts have predicted that over the next two years, over $6 trillion will be lost to cybercrime. Now, cybercrime is something that's been rising for the past number of years. 
And that has changed from being something that some kid does in his basement to being something that has been done by governments, that's been done by organized crime. So the impact of security breaches are increasing. What you've got to do is to work with a provider that has got security postures and compliance procedures in place that can continually meet and map to the rising levels of sophistication of these cyber attacks. That's not something you can do in-house. And it's certainly not something that you want to be spending the money in order to be able to do that. What you have to do is to work with an organization that uses the required international security standards, that has got a lot of experience in thwarting cyber attacks, and that can evolve as the cybercrime capabilities evolve as well. So when we talk about cybercrime changing, the company that is managing the applications has to evolve as well. And that can only be done if you've got a global capability, global remit, and the ability to be able to address these at every level. That's another critical consideration for CIOs when they're considering outsourcing this or not. As highlighted by IBM's acquisition of Red Hat, open source is increasingly an important part of public and private cloud environments, as it allows for more interoperability between clouds. As such, expectation is for open source when migrating and then managing apps in cloud. Otherwise, there is a risk of vendor lock-in and silos. Here's Alex Denley from LSBU again. One of the big um, questions is the Red Hat standards in terms of ensuring that things are open standards and open source. I think for us, it's absolutely key that we have open source technologies, uh, making sure that from an integration perspective, that things play nicely together. Um, You get the full functionality of the technologies when you try and weld them together as such. And all from an API integration perspective, you're not going to the hands of vendors in terms of paying astronomical costs in terms of making things talk and work together. That's absolutely key. And, and, And we're a firm believer and positive believer of the Red Hat standards now. Any investment we make, Actually, in our terms and conditions, we ensure that we have open source and API integration availabilities that are there from default. If you don't do that, you can go back to the whole silo approach in terms of delivering the technologies, which ultimately under-deliver. I mean that you're not making use of the data and business intelligence that would come with all of those. I think people need to be very clear about what they understand by open source. I think the thing is, is that ultimately... People want to ensure that they are not going to be locked in, but they also want to also ensure that there is an environment where people can, you know, come to build new applications, extend those applications, open up as many people to interact. Because, you know, that's what you want. You want to have an environment where there's lots and lots of development activity, lots of support. So I think see it as a means of engagement, a means of scale, a means of community action, and, you know, sort of a means of commonality and standards. So I think those are all of the key things. Data ownership and IP are also crucial considerations when working with a cloud partner. There can be a false assumption that the cloud provider owns it, which CIOs can naturally find off-putting. So it's important to be clear about the specifics in a cloud partnership. The IP in the application always stays with the customer. So there isn't a question that IBM will own the IP and the application. 
Therefore, if we have a contract with a customer that lasts over a number of years, and it could be anything from one year to 10 years plus, the customer will be free to move to another provider as and when required. There will also be, obviously, termination clauses in the contract, which will allow the customer to terminate the contract for whatever reason at a specific point. So we don't, absolutely do not, encourage any lock-in or force any lock-in on the customer. Fact is, if we were to try to do that, that in itself should be a red flag to the customer that says, I don't want to work with these guys because they're doing that. What we want to say to the customer is that, you know what, you've got the ability to get out of this contract in the normal manner, but we're very confident that you're not going to do that because we believe the service we provide will be more than successful that will encourage you to keep working with us and to develop a genuine partnership. So what sort of skills do you need to retain in-house in this new management model? The key dangers for CIOs not going down the managed route is that look at the questions they will have to answer that I don't believe they can answer positively. One, will they have the skills internally to be able to do what they need to do? Secondly, will they be able to access artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, blockchain, etc., and the other new technologies that they want to be able to deploy? And three, how will they be able to become a strategic part of their own organization when most of their teams spend their daytime hours working on keeping the lights on and keeping the applications going? So you're really losing out to your competitors and you're really creating a millstone around your neck internally by not doing this. Monitoring of cloud applications is also key for any CIO. To provide real transparency, I think it's important to provide, for example, a portal to the customer so that the customer can monitor and see what is being achieved on a constant basis. And that also encourages partnership because the customer can see where you're failing, where there are peaks and troughs in terms of the service that you're providing, how it is evolving over time and how it needs to evolve. And that encourages genuine partnership because you see where maybe the SLAs have not been adhered to. You see where incidents have occurred and they haven't been resolved in a time period that is required. And you start to see the weaknesses and strengths of the operation. Obviously, we would hope that the strengths would far outweigh the weaknesses. But that's where you start an ongoing dialogue with the customer that starts to develop a real partnership and starts then to look at how we can develop this, how we can innovate, etc. As Christy said earlier, a major benefit of having your most important data in the cloud is that you can leverage new technologies like AI. Once you move applications to the cloud, that opens up the world of these exciting new technologies such as artificial intelligence, Internet of Things and blockchain. Now you may ask, well, why is that the case? And the answer is that because the critical data of the customer is located in these applications, that is the data which you can interrogate with artificial intelligence, for example, in order to be able to gain the really deep insight at the golden nuggets that will reveal what you can do with that data. One example that we have in terms of IBM was a US drinks manufacturer that was finding that they were losing a lot of money because the product would spoil in transit from the manufacturing plant to the customer. And that was because it got too hot. So we had a situation where the drinks are transported, they get too hot and they spoil, and then they get to the customer. 
and then you have to take those drinks back. You have to send some new stock to the customer and it just costs a lot in wastage. So what we suggested to the customer was putting some temperature sensors in the trucks. And in doing that, we were able to get information from those sensors into the SAP system and monitor that system. So we would see when the temperature was increasing, when it was reaching a point that would have have a detrimental effect on the product, and then able to make some decisions about taking the product back to the plant um, or what to do. The end result of all of that was that the customer started saving on average $50,000 a week just through doing this and just through optimizing the capabilities of the sensors and the information and data that that fed through. And that's the power of artificial intelligence when we look at that. So you trace that back. And first of all, you're moving those applications to the cloud. You're cloud enabling them. You're then defining a use case to monitor the temperature in those trucks. You're getting the information back to the system. You're able to look at that 24-7 and make decisions on the go rapidly that have a marked benefit to your business. That's where the success lies. Another major push factor is that companies like SAP are on a countdown to pure cloud deployment. Let's look at one critical thing that is happening in the industry over the next few years. And that is the new software that is being released by SAP. So they're moving from R3 to S4HANA, which is a new version of their software. Now, that is not a simple move. It's not a migration or a simple conversion. It's a real transformation. And the reason they're doing that is because existing applications weren't built for the cloud. So they're clumsy and they're not fit for a cloud environment. So SAP has taken the strategic decision to adapt to the cloud. And I think that's a brave move. And in doing that, they've said that they're going to move on to this new software, S4HANA, by 2025. Now that appears like it's a long time away, but it isn't. In IT terms, that's just a few years. And that means that organizations need to look at this now and they need to ensure that they adapt to this new application environment as soon as possible. With all these cloud innovations, it might sound like on-prem is likely to become a thing of the past. But that still seems some way off for our CIOs and experts. Alex Farr, CIO of Strictly Education. The hybrid model works quite nicely for us. There is a number of services that we provide, which means we need to manage our data in different ways. There are some real cost prohibitive reasons why we need to leave some of our services on-prem, but the flexibility of the cloud gives us and allows us to scale and grow to meet the demands of our customers. It gives a really good balance also helps protect the business from a business continuity point of view and actually move into a model where Perhaps you've got production in the cloud and DR is then on site, which reverses the model that perhaps people start with when they move to the cloud, is a really powerful one. Although I'm a big fan of the cloud, I think it will always be a hybrid model that works well for me. For the right workload, there's a place for a hybrid environment where you might start on-prem and you might burst out to the cloud. It's kind of like you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Rather than look at, oh, you know, is there a place for on-prem cloud? It's like, what is it that I'm trying to do? Ask that question 
What's the outcome that I want? And who am I trying to reach out to? If you start from that, where is my, you know, what have I got in place? What skill sets? What, you know, what's my hardware? What's my estate look like? What's my infrastructure look like? What is it that I need to do? The on-prem application definitely still has its place because there is a lot of capability and internal intellectual property bound up in those applications. So I see customers being very successful using internal applications because they feel they cannot replicate that elsewhere and because there is nothing on the market that can map to the capabilities of that application. The danger is that over time, the people that can interact and develop that application start to reduce. And you get to a point where you're almost at a single point of failure, where you only have a handful of people that really know that application in great depth. And that is the point at which there's really a choice you have to make. One, maintain something internally where it's going to be much more difficult to get the skills to develop it and to really move with your requirements in terms of agility, flexibility, cost, etc. Secondly, move to something that's in the cloud that will not give you all the requirements that you have initially, but will be able to develop in terms of being able to access Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, blockchain, etc. And all of these technologies that your competitors are using. So you need to be part of this new world, because if you're part of the old world, then over time, you will become obsolete. So what's the best advice Bowler can give a CIO exploring their options with managed cloud? There isn't really one size fits all. It requires planning. It requires architecture. And it requires a strategy. It requires good relationships. It requires you actually having a good understanding of what your partners are doing. And it requires you to engage with people to understand their partner ecosystems. So there isn't a silver bullet and you're going to have to work at it. (laughs) So that would be the thing I would say to any CIO is, do you know what? Do your homework. In the next episode of Cloud Innovators, we'll be looking at container technology and its role in accelerating a CIO's journey to cloud. What's happening is the container platforms are moving in a way that is actually more like the evolution of the Linux platform, where Kubernetes and Docker are are almost the kernel, and then they're just packaging applications around that. Thanks for listening and see you then.